Um, you guys, I have to change my constellation to this Fox Twitter account. <laughs> Wait, like Fox News or an actual <laughs> no, Fox? like oh, an actual Fox. It's called at Hourly Fox. <laughs> Look at it. Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the gloriously young, splendidly hip, and triumphantly lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Olga Segura. Hey, guys. And Zach Davis. Hey, everyone. How are we doing, guys? Pretty good. Feel really like good. we got some good energy in there. Mm-hmm. A lot yeah. of good energy, a <laughs> lot of good creative spirit floating around mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and other spirits yes what's on tap Zach? so i was in ohio this past weekend to celebrate my mother's graduation uh from the mount carmel college of nursing and so uh we were in our prep session and we thought uh i thought yes uh, ashley <laughs> mom mom you're listening <laughs> ashley thought we should ask my mom amy what her favorite drink is and so uh, <laughs> little did i know <laughs> little did you know that came back she said miami vice no-brainer Miami Vice, hands down, because uh, it's summertime, and so it's a frozen drink, so it's like part pina colada mix, part strawberry daiquiri mix, and part rum. And it's also Mother's Day this weekend. That's so. right. So this is, you know... This is for all the moms out there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Who exactly. enjoy Who nice enjoy summery drinks. Summery <laughs> drinks, or wintry drinks, or yeah. no drinks. Or whatever drinks. And Just... I, I usually do not um, enjoy such drinks, um, but for your mom, I will I will <laughs> toast with my Miami for Vice. Amy. <laughs> Congratulations. Cheers. Really Congrats. Wonderful. Same. She's graduated. I so know. We're um, very proud of her. Yep. Mm, that's tasty. That actually tastes it tastes like um like uh the Danimals yogurt. Very true. Yogurt. Like the drinkable ones, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's actually all right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, there's the world is bigger than whiskey, actually. <laughs> and who are we talking to this week, Olga? This week we're talking with Alyssa Wilkinson, who is a film critic over at Vox, where she's been covering film and culture since 2006. She's also a professor at the King's College in New York City, and she was previously critic at large at Christianity Today. So we're going to be talking to her about religion and films, what some of her favorite films are, and what it is like to be a film critic in this day and age. She came to my attention, at least. Um, um, back when Silence, the film about the uh, Jesuit priest in Japan came out. Right, and right. she had one of like the most like incisive, thoughtful reviews of that movie that I read anywhere. So I was just like, oh, this is someone we need to pay attention to. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so we talked to her a little about what makes a good Christian film or what a Christian film even means, mm-hmm. which I thought was a really good discussion. Yeah. Or what makes a bad Christian what film. What makes a bad there's one. there's a lot of those. <laughs> yeah. Very true. But before we get into the rest of our show... Olga has a word from one of our sponsors. Yes, so today our show is sponsored by the Catholic Travel Center, a proud partner with America Media for four years. Uh, they've been hosting our pilgrimages to Italy, Spain, and the Holy Land, and the Catholic Travel Center is the customized pilgrimage specialist serving the Catholic community for more than 25 years. So if you're looking to organize your group's next pilgrimage, contact the Catholic Travel Center at gocatholictravel.com. So should we get into Signs of the Times? Yes, Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. First, Monday, May 7th was the annual Met Gala. Um, so this is basically like celebrity fashion prom. Uh, yes. Everyone comes to the Met in New York City um, to fundraise. And this year, the theme was Heavenly Bodies, Fashion, and the Catholic Imagination. So there's a new exhibit at the Met Um that the Vatican loaned a number of pieces, so like papal tiaras and robes and all that. So and super like this, a nice. lot of this stuff had never left the Vatican mm-hmm. before. So this is the first time that it's sort of been 
available for viewing maybe ever and also outside of uh, the Vatican. Yeah. And along with that are, uh, you know, fashion pieces that have mm-hmm. been inspired by this, uh, these Catholic... The Catholic imagination, right? Yes. Uh, everyone gets invited to the gala. Oh. I didn't get invited. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, everyone, everyone like, like Stephen Colbert famous and up gets to go. Sorry, <laughs> Zach. Jesuitical is not there just yet, but maybe next year. But Though our, Jim Martin got to our go. Our colleague, Father oh, yeah. James Martin, was there. Yes. Uh, and so, actually, our producer Eloise got to see the exhibit and got to interview uh, Father Martin about what he saw at the gala and at the exhibition and et cetera. Yeah. So this raised a lot of questions. One, like, was was this cultural appropriation? People, like, dressing up in Catholic things in a disrespectful way. Um, but I think the more important question is, like, who wore it better, Jim Martin or Andrew Garfield? So what were some of your favorite outfits? Um, I think I would be wrong of me to not say this, but Cardi B was hands down my favorite. Mm-hmm. She is, of course, the unofficial queen of the Bronx. And I just really loved this wonderful vision of like a pregnant Mary. She wore this white robe. She's, she's pregnant? Yeah, she's actually pregnant, okay. <laughs> which I think was perfectly timed. I'm not saying mm-hmm. she did it deliberately, but I think that she did. Um, but she's pregnant. She's wearing this wonderful gown and this what I'm what I'm going to call a crown. And she just looks amazing. And she looks like this powerful image of a pregnant woman. And I, I really appreciated that. But not everyone enjoyed it, right? Some some people were offended. I mean, there were some like very distasteful uh, uses of religious imagery. I'm um, thinking of like crown of thorns and like creches and oh yeah, Sarah Jessica Parker just like had like a nativity on her head. Oh, and yeah. I, like I didn't find it offensive like mm-hmm. as a Catholic, just as like a human being. That right. <laughs> like, a lot of it was like, just like, come on, can but... we be a little less literal? <laughs> so should we be upset by this sort of like celebrity playground using Catholicism? I am not at all. I actually think it's great that like. I don't know. I think there were very loud voices that were offended by this, but I think for the most part, like this had the sanction of the official church. Like mm-hmm. the Vatican loaned these art pieces to the museum. Cardinal Timothy Dolan went to the exhibit and to the Met Gala um, and, you know, gave it his blessing, basically. And I think it's great that Catholics are comfortable with, like I said, like the small C Catholicity of the appeal of their art. So. I'm right, all right. for it. Yeah, no, I agree because I was super apprehensive when I first when we first discussed that this was going to be the theme for the gala. But I think they did the work. If they had gone in and just been like, we're going to determine what being Catholic means and not talk to anyone at the Vatican or anyone in the church, that it would have been a problem. But they actually took time and spoke with people and got this OK, you know, so I'm totally OK with that. And we should point out that the, the exhibit is a standalone thing from the actual gala itself, right? Like what celebrities did for the gala is not to say anything about the exhibit, which I think everyone it, that's sort of you. Un- unanimously like a great exhibit that people should go see the one critique that i'm like okay maybe is like we are living in a time where pope francis has called us to be a poor church for the poor and these are Mm. (laughs) very not poor people i did not come prepared (laughs) for a response to that (laughs) uh so that's a good point i i i yes there are all the all these rich people doing all these rich things uh but you you could say that generally about all fundraisers church or otherwise and i i tend to i tend to be against most philanthropy as a way of solving social (laughs) ills um but beyond that i was really excited to see the public sphere engaging with the catholic intellectual artistic heritage Mm -hmm. there are going to be some misses right like anytime there's any type of creative attempt Mm -hmm. done 
anything that can be done very well can be done very poorly. Right. So right. I think that's something we've got to live with. Yeah, agreed. And I really enjoyed seeing both of my worlds sort of come together. Like people who are involved in the pop culture world taking an honest interest in Catholicism and asking questions and doing the research and seeing Catholics engage with people in the fashion world, the art world. I really enjoyed the that. The Twitter timelines converge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And maybe we'll let Cardinal Dolan, who was there at the gala, uh, have the final word. And he said that the church is all about truth, beauty, and goodness, and even fashion can get at those things. Amen. What's our next story? So Jeff Sessions has just announced a zero-tolerance border policy. So this means that anyone who crosses the border illegally will be prosecuted. Now, this has always been a crime, but previous administrations have not prosecuted in every single case. Um, but under this new policy, every border crossing would be prosecuted. And Sessions has added that children who enter illegally will also be separated from whatever adult that is accompanying them, whether it's a parent or a smuggler. Um, so this is some really, really sad news coming from the border this week. Yeah, and just also just like never... You know, the response is, well, those rules are rules. Those are the rules. Can't do anything about it. Right, don't Just right. like, don't trust people who... Except those aren't the rules. This is actually maybe in violation of international law. Like, right. you aren't supposed to <laughs> separate minors from their parents in situations like this. Right. Absolutely. And also, just like, in general, you're allowed to have morality that trumps procedure. Yeah. And and other uh, immigration news. In uh, more dehumanizing immigration stories, there's... Yeah, so the U.S. State Department has um, uh, ended the temporary protected status for Hondurans. So, so this is... Um, in 1998, there was a terrible hurricane in Honduras, Hurricane Mitch. A lot of people came to the U.S. and were given protected status here and have been here for 20 years. They've had children here. They've started businesses here. They've just lived here for 20 years, and now the Trump administration is giving them until 2020 um, to go back to Honduras. And he's done the the same thing with El Salvador and Haiti. Um, so it's really like, yes, you could make the case that, no, the conditions that this protected status were made under, like hurricanes, that doesn't exist anymore. But as we see at the border, there are still mm -hmm. people fleeing on Honduras because right. of political instability and gang violence. So sending back people who have established lives here um, because technically it's no longer a hurricane-ravaged country doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. It's terrible. Um, but it, we wanted to also bring one bright spot uh, story about how some Catholic churches in Texas are trying to help undocumented immigrants. Uh, in the Dallas area, some Catholic churches are issuing uh, church IDs um, so these things would include uh, name, date of birth, what church they're a member of, and the church logo. Um, and this is significant because some police departments uh, in the Dallas area are beginning to give police the discretion to accept the cards as a form of identification. This is important because without that, without any type of ID, all of a sudden if you're driving and you, you know, maybe there's a traffic violation or something very minor, that can lead to jail time, deportation, all kinds of things. And so to be able to have a an ID card sort of puts a barrier between those things. So people aren't getting separated from their families for, you know, rolling a stop sign. Yeah. I was, yeah, when I read the story, I was a little bit confused. Like, like, what's the point if it's not an actual, like, state-issued ID and it doesn't, you know, it's still legal to drive without a driver's license. Right. Um, but I, I didn't realize that it could, it really could prevent, like, arrest for minor, minor traffic violations. And just, like, the idea that I, that you take things like IDs for granted when you're a citizen yeah. here. Right. And 
And it's, you know, it's, this is an example of the church working within what the realm of the possible at the moment. You know, we're obviously still advocating for just like more humane treatment of the undocumented community in general. Um, And it's still problematic that the police can still decide not, you know, it's basically at the goodwill of the police officer whether or not you can accept these things. But this is a good example of the church working within what's possible right now in order to help these communities. What's next, Olga? So Pope Francis has asked the bishops of Germany to continue working together to find broader consensus on guidelines for allowing a Protestant married to a Catholic to receive the Eucharist. This is, uh, th- and I-, I thought this was interesting because there are some cases where you could receive communion if yeah, you're no, a Protestant Yeah, I didn't realize this. In 1993, uh, there was a document issued that talks about the times when it's appropriate for the church to give exceptions to non-Catholics. Um, and you can find it in our show notes. It's called the Directory for the Application of Principles and Norms on Ecumenism. If you're looking for some bedtime reading, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. So as we mentioned last week, uh, there's been a lot of drama for the Jesuit chaplain to the House of Representatives, Patrick Conroy. He was forced to resign by the Catholic Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, in April. After we recorded that, he rescinded his resignation um, because it became clear that the reasons he had been given for why he was being asked to resign might not have been true. Uh, Or that the reasons were true, (laughs) but like the mechanisms by which he was asked to resign really kind of... Shady. Yeah. So in the letter, when in rescinding his resignation, he said that... uh, Speaker Paul Ryan's, uh, one of his staffers came and said, maybe it's uh, time for a non-Catholic chaplain. Um, But then in Paul Ryan's public remarks, his reasons were that Father Conroy was not living up to the pastoral expectations of the chaplain. Right. And there was no indication that people were complaining before that. Yeah. So so Father Conroy was like, if you had told me then that it was my, you know, my lacking in the pastoral department, I would have not resigned and tried to fix it. Right. So do you, do how do you guys feel? Do you think it was a good idea for him to res- rescind his resignation or do you think he's kind of now compromising his whole pastoral ministry? I mean, I wouldn't I think the onus for all of this drama falls on Speaker Ryan. Um but I think once it kind of set in motion, it will be hard for uh, Father Conroy to return to his previous role now that he's kind of become a partisan lightning rod. Yeah, but I do think um, outside of the whole, my team win, my Jesuits win, yeah, Mm -hmm. uh, there's that. But also, Paul Ryan and Pat Conroy met for coffee, smoothed things out, right? And so, you know, if we're giving both of them the benefit of the doubt, uh, reconciliation can sometimes be really hard. And I think if, you know, Pat Conroy had let things sort of lie as they were, there would have been a lot of hard feelings. There would have been like a lot of Catholics who kind of felt like, what was that about? Like, are Catholics allowed to like be in this role? There have only been two in the entire history of the United States. Um, I think their effort at achieving some type of reconciliation is going to, it's painful and it's awkward and tough, um, but that's the nature of you know, that mercy business. Wow. So this is the nicest thing you've ever said know, about Paul Ryan. <laughs> I know. I will <laughs> Who not. are you, Zach? <laughs> uh, I'll let that. I'm just going to let that be. How about All that? All right. We will pray for both of them and for the house because we know they need it.
joining us via Skype is Alyssa Wilkinson, a staff writer and critic at Vox.com, where she covers film, culture, and religion. Welcome to Jesuitical, Alyssa. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're super excited. So you're a film critic and also a professor, and you were at Christianity Today, and now you're at Vox. So what, what was that transition like for you to move from Christianity Today to Vox? Yeah, I had been um, writing for Christianity Today for a few years, and you know, it was a really good experience there. Um, the transition, it turned out, was, I think, much easier than anyone really expected. Um, you know, a lot of what I was writing at CT, I was very aware that there were people who were reading who weren't your typical CT readers. So I would talk to other critics, for instance, who um, might have come over to Christianity Today to see what a uh, Christian take on the on a film might have been. And um, so, yeah, and I sort of got the feeling that there was a lot of people listening in who weren't typical readers. At Vox, are you encouraged to continue bringing that Christian theological um, lens to the reviews you do? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I what I have to know when I'm at Vox is that our readership there is um, not, not anti-religious in any way, but not necessarily very... Um, biblically literate <laughs> yeah that's, um, <laughs> that's a nice way of putting it <laughs> yeah and i mean some of them certainly are and some certainly aren't and there's a huge variety um from people who were raised in homes where religion was not part of their lives at all all the way to people who were raised in very religious homes so we're thinking of what expertise can i bring to this film and often it is you know i'm familiar with the bible so when i watch a movie like um you know, like Alien Covenant or something, I can kind of spot what's going on in the film. Um, and not everyone maybe has the same tool set when they go into a film. Um, I, in fact, just got an email like moments ago from a colleague who finally got around to seeing Mother, Darren Aronofsky's film. And, oh, um, yeah. and I had written my piece, you know, I walked right out of that film in Toronto and said, oh, that was a movie about the Bible. And I explained how that was true in my review. And um, a lot of people, it turned out, had not seen that. And hmm. so this hmm. colleague was like, I'm so glad I read your review because that made movie make sense for me. So that's the kind of thing that I get to do there. And it's really, uh, really rewarding. But I have to think always kind of about the vocabulary that I'm mm -hmm. using and what might not be self-evident to the reader. Right. So, Alyssa, what, what makes for a Christian film? How would you define that to an audience that might not, like you said, might not have <laughs> read the Bible? But yeah. I mean, there's there's a couple ways to answer that. So there is a thing called a Christian film in the marketplace right now, um, and those are usually defined by who they're marketed at. You know, these are like your pure flicks, um, God's Not Dead style films, and a lot of them are designed to be inspirational, um, usually pretty broad on the theological side. Um, and the idea often is to sort of bolster the the things that the person who watches it already believes. What do you, so you mean, wouldn't what do you find, mean broad theologically? Um, so you, you rarely find very, um, well, you often find very, very, um, <laughs> uh, like loose theological ideas. So like, um, a, a good example of this is the, there's, you know, the, the genre of films about people who like died and saw heaven and came back. Right. This mm -hmm. is a genre of films. They're very popular. Um, there's not a lot of like talking about like, Jesus in these films or like those I kinds see. of things. They're kind of more inspirational, you know, mm -hmm. and the idea is like pretty much anybody who kind of is friendly towards church could, could watch this and draw some kind of good feeling off of it. And that's, that's a market decision that a lot of um, film makers have made. Um, it's like sort if of you target that market. If you slip too much Jesus in, it'll get too depressing. 
<laughs> yeah, or you know, or or offensive. Um, oh, yeah, in right. some yeah. cases, right? Um, but what you won't find with those films is a lot of people watching them who aren't already sort of sympathetic to the ideas in them. Um, because why would you? And often, frankly, they're they have historically not been very well made either. Um, and then on the flip side, I think you have films and TV shows that have a real um you know, they're really grappling with questions and ideas that are present in, in Christianity. Um, and often, you know, things that other religions have also tried to answer. Um, and if they do it through a Christian lens or give an answer that I think is congruent with Christian theology, then I would call that more of a Christian movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think often the things that we term Christian movies are, are actually political or inspirational movies. They're not, they're not really interested in the things that I think you know, Christian faith is, is actually interested in like sacrifice and, um, loving one's neighbor and things like that. I, uh, became acquainted with your work after reading your review of silence last year, Mm. which (laughs) I mean, I think kind of, it doesn't really fit neatly into either of these categories. It's, (laughs) it's certainly not like a fluffy inspirational piece. Um, no, but it is explicitly religious. Um, were you surprised by how it was received among Christians and then among secular people? Um, I, I was a little, I mean, I, I was familiar with the novel and I kind of knew what the response to it had been over the decades. Um, so I had a sense that, you know, that is a film that, and a story that has troubled, um, Christian people for a long time. But Could you in, just tell us, tell us for maybe for listeners who haven't read it or sure. heard it, what it's about or yeah, so the novels by Shisaku Endo, I believe it was published in the 50s in Japanese. Um, it's kind of a classic there. Endo is sometimes called the um, the Graham Green of Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a story about priests in, oh gosh, I'm I'm blanking on it, but uh, hundreds of years ago, who who are Portuguese and they go to Japan to be missionaries um, and also to find a priest uh, who was a mentor of theirs who has gone missing. Um, and what they discover when they get there is that that priest has apostatized, um, and that the Christians in, in Japan are being persecuted. Um, and the story is kind of the two young priests responding to that in their very different ways. Um, and it's, it's very challenging and it's very, I think, disturbing for a lot of people. It certainly doesn't have a happy ending. Um, and, you know, sort of grapples with the question of like, what do we do with God when he's silent? Yeah. to our pleas. And so Martin Scorsese had wanted to adapt this film, this book into a film for like 25 years and he finally did it. Um, and it was weird how it, the, what the response was. So Sort of no one liked it in, in many ways. <laughs> yeah, well, so critics, you know, a lot of critics really loved it. And yeah. I found that my friends who are critics who are atheists and agnostics um, tended to respond to it the best. Mm. Um, they found it um, very moving um, and very kind of like a super honest reflection of what it is to actually grapple with faith and doubt. Um, and then there was sort of a split opinion, I think, at least among, um, you know, I'm mostly here from evangelicals, just given where my work has been. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there was about half of them were delighted and the ones who at least could manage to see it because it wasn't um, publicized very well or marketed very well. And then the other half were like horrified. Right. Um, I do think that movie is a masterpiece. It does sort of raise an interesting question is like, when do like images of piety help or hurt a film artistically? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I think people like references mm-hmm. to faith, but, or yeah. to belief, but not necessarily the act of it. Mm-hmm. 
That can be true. Although I also think that we, I will say that in my time at CT in particular, I found that people were often resistant to the idea that non-Christian audiences, people who weren't, wouldn't identify as Christian, um, they, they assumed that they would be hostile towards depictions of Christian faith. And it almost always was mm. the opposite. Um, and I think this narrative had, has grown up, um, among Christians over the past few decades that, you know, nobody wants to see that and that that's offensive. And often I think what is offensive is, um, depictions that people know aren't true yeah. or that because most people have friends and loved ones and relatives who are practicing Christians. It turns out, um, in America, that's just sort of statistically true. And they want to see those people depicted on screen and they want to see them depicted fairly. Um, and I think they are often disappointed by what they see. Right. So, it's very shallow and it's not necessarily like mm-hmm. deep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so Alyssa, what are some examples of good versus bad Christian films? <laughs> well, um, so I have, I, I am deeply disturbed by the God's Not Dead series of films. I'm not sure if, how, how widely viewed they are. They certainly made a ton of money. Yeah. Um, and they're, to me, they're incredibly, they're, they're actually pretty well made. I mean, they're competently made. They're not badly made. Um, but to me, they're like the, the biggest example of films that are made to tap into um, a political moment, but sort of disguise themselves as being about religion. And if you don't like them, then you somehow are denying Christ or it's something like, a like Chick-fil-A that. Chick-fil-A sandwich in many ways. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they're, you know, they're, they certainly uh, tell stories that, um, uh, that twist the truth, um, but then they try to present themselves as true. So like, for instance, the second one has this story about this, you know, character who's a teacher who, um, m- you know, mentions Jesus uh, and like quotes like something from the Beatitudes in response to a question asked by a student in the classroom. And this teacher loses her job, is hauled into court. Like, it, you know, it's it's all these things that just they don't really it doesn't really happen that way. Um, and so they kind of over and this to me just it you know builds this sort of victim mentality that is i think wrecking the country right now so that that sort of thing i think is is pretty terrible on the flip side i think there've been some interesting explorations of bible stories um that i would i don't know if i can call them christian because i don't think that all those stories belong only to christians but i think that they um certainly give us like a good example of how we can re-envision the Bible to make it fresh and new. So, um, I, you know, there's actually things about the passion of the Christ that I actually think are pretty, um, pretty good for that because they helped us kind of re-see that story. But more recently, there were a couple films that I thought were decent. Um, one I'm thinking of is, um, Risen, which sort of plays like, um, there's the sort of the centurion who sort of is in the background of the passion story. Um, now he's in the foreground. So it, yeah, it yeah. plays out sort of like he's trying to um, understand who this Jesus guy is and there's all these other characters. So it's, you know, it's extra biblical, um, but, that, but in a good way, I think. And it seemed to play well to a faith-based audience. Um, but the kinds of films that I would gravitate towards would be things like Silence, um, the movie Calvary that came out a few oh, years ago, so I thought good. was just mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah. 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 Um, and those kinds of movies, I think, really actually do what, what a movie should do um, when it's exploring faith. 
I do feel like there's such an opportunity, and this is a very Ignatian thing to that like <laughs> films evoke our imaginations and that a mm-hmm. lot of the times it's hard to like bring these stories that are on paper into life the way I think they're intended. But mm-hmm. I do feel like they're just so poorly made all the time <laughs> that like yes. I would never suggest it to anyone. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of times the the response to them is like, oh, you know, it deviated from the from the Bible. And it's like, yeah, but like it's, you know, they're not documentaries, right? Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a film and there's, there's things that aren't on the page. Um, but they can help us to like, think of this, of the story in a new way. That's what a good adaptation should do. And yeah. as long as they're not being sacrilegious or something like, <laughs> right. I want to see us embracing that. Well, and watching should be some type of creative act too, mm-hmm. like viewing it. That's right. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it should be something that we have to engage with. Mm-hmm. Um, as audiences in a, in like a real way. Um, and just seeing our favorite stories like reenacted in front of us. I mean, why are we watching a cover version of the real thing? Right. <laughs> why not make something new? <laughs> Amen. Yeah. So Alyssa, if, if you could uh, force me or Zach or Olga to sit down and watch any movie, uh, what would it be? Any movie. Yeah. Oh <laughs> my goodness. This is always a very difficult question. <laughs> um, let me think for a second. Now that you've known um, us for like 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the kinds of movies that I'm always interested in getting people to watch are the ones that are from um, filmmakers who I think are grappling with doubt. <laughs> hmm. So I don't. So the one that comes to mind, just springs to mind, is um, this movie, Midnight Special from two years ago. I don't know if, if any of you saw it, but. Nope. Um, so it's it's from this director Jeff Nichols, who's an American director. He makes these really really great films, but this one is about a um, basically a father played by Michael Shannon, whose young son um, is at the center of this cult, basically, um, and he wants to rescue his son, and so he basically kidnaps his son from the cult and starts um, driving to safety. Um, and along the way, there's this real interesting. Um, uh, it, 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 there's a phenomenon that's going on, basically. I don't want to give too much away, but there's a phenomenon that's going on and all the different characters who interact with this young boy have to think about uh, what they believe about that uh, mm. and what that, how that challenges their worldview and their idea of like what is real. Um, is the world only material or is there a spiritual dimension? And it's also just this really beautiful story about a father and a son um, and a few other characters. So I would deeply recommend it um okay it, all right we'll check pretty it out. Re- yeah it's pretty great all right okay so we, we do have one last question yep. um, okay so Alyssa, if you could canonize anyone living or dead catholic or non-catholic who would it be and why <laughs> <laughs> wow fictional or non-fictional yeah. it could be <laughs> a film character non-fictional all right well um the one that's gonna spring to mind right now and um is uh, I don't know if you saw Lady Bird from last year. Oh, did um, we? <laughs> yes, <laughs> my my favorite film from last year. And I always think of Lois Smith's character, who's mm. the um, the woman uh, who's the I believe um, the principal at the school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and she tells Lady Bird that love and attention are the are the same thing, and that uh, and I I would like to uh, have her be canonized please it'd be great <laughs> to have that quote on a prayer card like yeah. a holy card oh, yes. Yeah. yes yes it's in my twitter bio right now oh. <laughs> that's awesome Excellent. yes 
Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And where can people find your work? Um, I'm always on Vox.com, V-O-X. And uh, I'm also on Twitter a lot. And my handle there is Alyssa Marie. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Alyssa. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Now it's time for some listener feedback. First, I have to say, I love our new Facebook group. Me too. (laughs) I talk like... Our listeners are really funny and super engaged. It's really great. Uh, So you can go to facebook.com slash group slash Jesuitical. And we've just been like posting articles and listeners have been like posting pictures from trips and questions. Crochet patterns. Crochet. I threw a crochet (laughs) pattern in there this week. Um, So definitely if you haven't joined, get in there. um, Share your thoughts and introduce yourself. Say where you're listening from, what Mm -hmm. you do. It's really fun. It's great. And shout out to our patrons this week. Um, Christopher Gelk, who is an ambassador. Christina Bowen, who is a super fan. And shout out to our VIPs, Matthew Cavillian and John Tomzak Sr. And also shout out to Jose Dueño, who has donated a dollar. And this is just a reminder that you can donate whatever you want. If you mm-hmm. want to support us, we will take it. So visit our Patreon yes. page and so give one, what you can. One dollar will give you no benefits. Well, nope. No, you get to be... In the group. Yeah, You're in the in crowd. You see the videos. Yep. You can leave posts. That's and you true. get a shout out from us. Yes. But th- so that th- it's not an official designation as we, you know, you don't get the other Should things we that we've outlined. The, what was it? Jose <laughs> Let's level? do it. The JVC level or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We got really good emails this week um, in response to our interview with Wadraha Ali. Um, Aaron Heffernan, who is... Uh, her boyfriend is a Muslim American. Um, and at the beginning of their relationship, they were kind of like, we're going to have to play down our faiths for this to work. And she found it to be the opposite. Um, she was inspired by his devotion to become more Catholic. Um, and she really wants us to have a show about interfaith relationships, which I think is a, great, a great idea. idea. Yeah. So we need to find. So if you, if you have, you have yeah. ideas, yeah, yeah, send them Send in. them our way. All right. Now it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Olga? So today I've got a really great consolation for you guys. Um, so I found a parish this past weekend, um, and I'm super excited. I I thought I've com- I haven't complained, but I've mentioned that I was really disillusioned with the two parishes that I had visited. Um, and this one, I went with Enoch, and... It was just, I felt the same kind of reinvigorated energy that I felt when I was in the Holy Land and we were going to Mass every day with all of the pilgrims. Um, So it was really great to just have that new energy in me. And it was also really beautiful to see Enoch worshiping in a Catholic church. And there were were a lot of moments where he felt super lost because he was just like, how do you guys know all the things to say? (laughs) Yeah, and I'm just like, we've been doing this our whole lives, essentially. Um, But I really thought that it would make him uncomfortable somehow or that I wouldn't feel feel super invested in it. Mm-hmm. But it was great to be in that space and feel really at home and to find this really familiar community. And it was also great to like also see Enoch in this moment and yeah. just kind of seeing God in a moment where like a space that I've grown up with my entire life and then introducing Enoch to it was really beautiful and that was just super consoling. Oh, I'm so happy for you guys. Do you want to give a shout out to the parish or are you yes, trying to keep no, it no, on no. the deal? Shout out to St. Charles Borromeo Parish up in Harlem. Um, so you guys were great and I will see you next Sunday or the Sunday afterwards. You're committing yourself. I'm committing wow. myself. Nice. <laughs> what do you have, Zach? So uh, this past Sunday, as I mentioned earlier on the show, I was home in Ohio, which always, you know, in this weekend, especially with my mom's graduation, everything fills me with a lot of great things and consolations. Uh, But one thing I wanted to hone in on was 
one of my favorite things is going to worship in the parish I grew up in uh, when I'm home. Uh, and so I actually also got to go to a youth group mass this Sunday, um, which is where I really had my conversion experience uh, or reversion, whatever, um, in high school. That's sort of the foundation of my, you know, relationship with Jesus and Catholicism. And actually, when I was deciding where to go to college, I very seriously considered staying uh, home so I could continue to be in and minister to this youth group. Um, and then someone was like, Zach, leave. It'll, God will still be here, whether without you're not surprised. Uh, but I was there for the uh, Sunday at youth group mass this weekend, and it was it was pretty close to empty, um, oh, which no. was really hard for me to see. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still a really committed core group of people there, um, but w- uh, our, the numbers are down a lot. Um, and when I was praying, I heard this uh, voice. I know it makes me sound like a crazy person, but you know when things are not going great, uh, that said, "Oh, see you left, and look what happened." Um, but I also, in that moment, knew I was like, "No, that's not true." Um, Get behind me, Satan. Um, I saw the evil spirit and I headed it off. And I was like, no, at that point, in that moment in prayer, I was like, I have to trust in God that there are this committed group of people here, that God is continue going to continue to move and do things here. Um, and just because it looks different does not mean that, you know, all, all hope is lost. Um, and so that actually became a consolation for me, is, you know, being able to trust in God in that moment. Hmm. What do you got, Ashley? Um. I also have a consolation. Um, so we kind of mentioned this last week, but so on our episode with uh, Mary Carr, I made a decision to talk about being lonely and the shame I felt with that. Um, even though our Jesuit formation guide was kind of like, ah, are you sure you want to share that? <laughs> and I wasn't sure either. Um, but since then, a lot of people have reached out Um either listeners over email or just like friends from my life who I haven't talked to in a while. Um, And I really saw that like by taking this thing that was kind of like existing in the dark or just like in my head, um, one of actually this reminds me of something Mary Carr wrote whenever she had a, she had a fear, her spiritual director would say, what's your source for that information? Like why, what, what, what's the source to your fear? And it, and her answer was always like, of my own thoughts. (laughs) Like that, that's who's telling me. (laughs) And it turns out your own thoughts are not always the most reliable source. So by like taking it out of just like the realm of my own head, sharing it, putting it out there, I I found out that it was wrong. Like I'm even, even though I felt lonely, like I was not alone. There are a lot of other people going through this. Um, So being able to connect with them, um, that in itself was a consolation. And then realizing once I got out of my own head that there are ways that like I could be reaching out to help other people who feel like I do. Um, so yes, yeah, so that that moving it out of the dark where like the evil spirit can just like whisper things and you're like, uh, you're lame and worthless and alone and you are always going to be like that and bring it into the light like just gave me a completely new perspective on it. Um, so that that movement seeing god and these other people who were then willing to also come out come out of the darkness and and talk to me was really really consoling so thanks to everyone who wrote and reached out i really appreciate it amen amen okay Jesuitical is brought to you by American Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Adverbs provided by Maud Elizabeth Hurley through our Facebook page. Check it out. Jesuit Formation provided by Eric Sundrup SJ. Engineering and design by Angelo Jesus Conta. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. 
please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Shout out this week to Biz Honey, Code Fro, Tessellation33, and GNCC. Send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at AmericanMedia.org. And the show was made possible by Catholic Travel Center, proud partner with American Media. To organize your group's next pilgrimage, contact Catholic Travel Center at gocatholictravel.com. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Olga Segura and Zach Davis. We will see you next week.